my name is Sam Downing. I'm not Carter, obviously. But that, um, uh, good for him. Um, um, I am an elder here, a ruling elder, not a teaching elder. Uh, and Carter asked me, was gracious enough to ask me to step in for him while he's on this trip, which has been planned for some time. So I'm happy to be here um, and to present God's word to you as best I can. Anyway, uh, just before we uh, get into this and, and open everything up, I just want to say my condolences to all of those who are students who are about to go back to school. <laughs> I'm so sorry that the fun is over. Now the work begins in earnest. And those of you who are teachers, um, I know the Sunday dreads, you know, all the stomach gets churned up and we've got to go back in the classroom. We've got to start this thing all over again and try to do the best we can. And um, uh, just know that uh, uh, God is in his gracious uh, sovereignty, has placed you where you are for because of who you are, with whom he's going to give you so that you can be that person in their lives who loves them and cares for them and teaches them and leads them. And students, understand that God has given you that class, that school, those teachers to lead you in the knowledge of the understanding of those subjects that you need. So give your attention to them as you would your parents in terms of uh, what they're telling you to do in the classroom. Follow their instruction, lead, follow their leading. They're really there and they're, they're most, most of the teachers that I've ever known, their desire is to help you, to, to, to get you to, to that place where you understand that subject. And if you listen to them and stay close to them and kind of put the video games down once in a while, then you may find yourself much more successful in school and much more enjoyable with it. But I pray for you as the school year is coming closer and closer and as we're beginning, uh, that that will be your agenda, both teachers and students for the year. Yes. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we stumble through another portion of your word, as we attempt to understand, to open up, to apply to see the truth of it, to live the truth of it. We ask for the blessings of your Holy Spirit to quicken our minds and our hearts and our lives so that that's what we do, so that that's where it leads us to the place where you want us to be. Because we submit ourselves to you in all that we do and say in this time and in this hour and the rest of this day as we seek to worship and honor you and lift Christ high. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Yes, if you have your Bibles, please. Return with me to uh, Psalm 46. Oh, there, I need these. Psalm 46. And I'm going to read you just a little portion of that. It's, uh, it's, only, it's a short um, psalm anyway. We did this last time. It's the same passage. Then we're going to turn over in Mark chapter 4. So from Psalm 46, we're going to go to Mark chapter 4. So you may want to keep both of those, um, uh, uh, hold both of those open in your, in your Bibles. Um, before I uh, read the, the Word of God, uh, I don't know how he does this. Uh, no one else does, I guess, as well. But I could not have picked better songs for us to worship as the praise team led us through for the topic that we're going to cover than I, I, if I had decided to do so. 
Um, leaving that just to Jeremy and by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, those hymns were perfect. Um, the one, which one was it? Yes, Though You Slay Me, uh, it is, could have been the theme song of, of the message that, that uh, part of the message I'm going to give you. I call it the hymn of the persecuted Christians. Uh, it was wonderful indeed. Thank you, Jeremy, again, and praise team. Let's read this portion of God's word in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Though, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake, and it's swelling with its swelling pride. I'm going to skip down to verse six, verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolation in the earth. He makes the wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. That's the, what we're going to focus in on for the rest of the message today. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So keep your place there if you would please. Turn with me to Mark, New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the second book of the New Testament. Uh, at at uh, chapter 4, at verse 35. On that day when evening, with the evening, when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. This is speaking of Christ, of Jesus. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to them, said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who is this then that even the winds and the seas obey him? On October in 2016, Dr. Andrew Brunson, a missionary to Turkey of over 20 years, um, Minister in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church and PhD in New Testament studies, I didn't know that, was arrested by Turkish authorities and put into prison. Um, he was released two years later in October of 2018 as a result of massive, massive prayer all around the world on the part of God's people and intervention of the United States government under Donald Trump on his behalf to get him out. He, he was arrested because he was deemed to be a threat to national security. The president of Turkey at the time, a guy named, in, uh, I'm sorry for the pronunciation, E-R-D-O-G-A-N, Erdogan, Erdogan or Erdogan, one of the two, was anxious to show his strength to the Muslim factions in the political arena there. Uh, also, there were some been some false accusations from members of Dr. Brunson's church who had been troublemakers and they had cast out of the church 
who were angry and trying to get back at him and accused him of being a, uh, a proponent of, of um, Kurdish independence. Very uh, hard subject in Turkey. Uh, and being a member of the Fethuma Gilan, again, pronunciation, I'm sorry, coup. There was a coup against the president, and which was a failed coup, and this person was responsible, and he was now on a political tear to arrest everybody who even smelled like this guy, and the prisons were being crammed, and he was arresting everybody who even looked in that direction um, to eliminate his uh, political rivals. Uh, he also saw an opportunity to use Dr. Brunson as a bargaining chip with the U.S. to kind of throw his weight around and show how he can stand up to the U.S. Um, and to use him to get some political prisoners, some, some prisoners out of the U.S. or some citizens out of the U.S. That who had formerly been from Turkey to get them back there to prosecute them. And this is all outlined for us, and you can read it, and I highly encourage you to do so in Dr. Brunson's book, God's Hostage. This is a little bit of an unusual book because I've never read a book. Uh, maybe Wormbrand's book, Tortured for Christ, comes close. Uh, not that the, uh, Dr. Brunson was tortured, but he was certainly cast into prison in a prison that was really hostile to him and his faith. But it's the emotional and spiritual rawness of it that captures you. You see a real man in a real prison, um, falsely accused, stripped from everything that he's ever known outside of his faith in Christ. And that was being severely tested. And you see his emotions, his fears, insecurities, his uncertainties, his struggle to, to hear God speak to him and God give him direction. And all this is very, 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 very humanly speaking, very real. Um, if, you, um, if you know Dr. Brunson, you know that he also uh, spoke at the General Assembly in 2001 and 2002 in the 42nd General Assembly. He spoke at the leadership conference with um, Dr. Bird Strait. Dr. Bird, Dr. Strait is the pastor of Cherry Creek EPC in Inglewood, Colorado, and also moderator of the EPC. And they spoke at the leadership conference. You can go online and go YouTube and just type, type it in. You'll pull it right up. Uh, and Dr. Strait introduced us to a video series that he and Dr. Brunson had worked on. Eight videos, eight series, a series of eight, with a study guide, all free, totally free. Go to epc.org slash prepare to stand. Just type it in. If you, if, you need, if, you, if you can't remember that, ask me and I'll be happy to give it to you. You just type it in and it comes right up. There are the, all videos. You can click on any one you want. There's the study guide. I printed mine out so I can keep it and work. And Mary and I can, or have already started to work well, a different one. Started to work through it. Um, it's about 35, 36 pages. Excellently done. Very, very, very well done. Um, and you can study through that video series. Well, why do I need to do that? Dr. Strait and Dr. Brunson's goal is basically, well, their message is persecution is coming to, you, to the U.S. Persecution, a wave of persecution like we have never known is, is coming. Um, the time of persecution is coming. And here's what you can expect. And here's how you can prepare yourself for it, spiritually, emotionally. And here's the victories that can come out of this persecution for those of us who persevere. 
Um, now, I was a little bit curious about that, so I went and looked and started looking up and see if I could find evidence of other people saying the same thing, and it's all over the internet. Uh, pastors and um, um, Christian research organizations and um, everybody is, and uh, denominations are saying, yeah, this is, yeah, this is kind of pretty much on the way. Uh, I mean, some of the stuff will just raise the hair on the back of your head, what people are saying about Christians. People in leadership positions even are saying about Christians. Uh, now, this could all be a, another Y2K scare, right? Remember that? Those of us who are older, everybody was all afraid, and, oh my gosh, the world's coming to an end, and we sat there and watched the ball drop, and pff, nothing. <laughs> what a waste. <laughs> yeah, and then the, the COVID scare, which was something, but it turned out not to be as much as uh, people had made it out to be, and all of the things that happened to that. So, Am I going to just get myself all hyped up here for all this persecution? There's going to be nothing to it. Maybe. I don't know. No one knows the future. These people are right. Well, maybe they're right. Are these people wrong? Maybe they're wrong. You judge the evidence for yourself. Go and look around. Get your, get your head up and look around what's happening in society around you and draw your own conclusions. Um, but if it is coming then Christians should be the one who are most prepared. In, oh, got it written out right there. In Matthew chapter 10, Christ is about to send his, uh, uh, his disciples out on an itinerant ministry. Go, he's going to send, do something, training, so to speak. Go and speak to these people and do this and come back and we'll talk about it. And he prepares them and this is what he says to them. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. This is in Matthew 10, 16 through 39. I'll read portions of it. Be aware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. It will be even brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about what you're going to say. It will be given to you at that hour. For it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death. A father his children, and children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated because, all, because of my name. It is the one who has endured to the end who will, be, who will be saved. Therefore, do not fear them. There's nothing that is concealed that won't be revealed. Do not fear those who kill the body who are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear those who are able to destroy both soul and body. Um, so again, he goes, and do not fear. I have not come to bring peace on the earth. I've come, not come to bring peace but a sword. It, for I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And you love son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now that seems a little bit extreme and a little bit bizarre. But if you know anything about the persecuted church, if you know anything about what Wormbrand went through, if you know anything about what Dr. Brunson went through, if you know anything about what other people and across the world are going through and have been through, highly recommend that you subscribe. It's free. The Voice of, of, of the Martyrs, started by Wormbrand. 
Uh, it, it chronicles some stories of the persecuted church around um, the world each month, and it gives you a, a chance to pray for them and shows you what their, what their current needs are, and they're going to ask you for money. Absolutely. They need it. I highly recommend it's totally free. Totally free. And educate yourself what's going on in the world. Everyone is saying that the persecution of Christians around the world has increased in the past, let's say, 10, 15 years, and is increasing. And Christ tells his disciples, this is what you can expect. The problem in the United States is that God has blessed us with about 200 years of relative freedom and an acceptance in our culture of the Christian faith so that it's the foundation of societal's understanding of what's right and wrong, good or bad, moral or immoral. As that is being thrown out the window now with postmodernism and all the current ideologies, then we, have not, we are not favored anymore. We're not the ones who are privileged. We're not the ones who are respected. As a matter of fact, we're denigrated. We're the haters. We're becoming the ones who are, are, are dragging down society or offending people with our hate speech and are, are disrupting society with our inability to accept other people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Christ says, get ready, because this is who you are to the world. This is who you are, and this is who you will be, and this will come to you. Now, this is not the only place in Scripture we find this. Um, we had Jason teach us through 2 Peter, and 2 Peter is written to the persecuted church. Church is being scattered and is undergoing persecution all across the Roman world. And he writes to the dispersed church about how you should be, how you should live under persecution. And in this time, um, go back and look at Daniel. Look at the book of Esther, which uh, Tom's going to lead us through in, uh, in the fall. I mean, it's... it's covered in scripture all throughout the new testament paul was persecuted probably more than you and i will ever be persecuted you know stoned to death at least twice my gosh <laughs> you're kidding me nope healed up right back at it and the the message here is that's what you're expected to do that's who, if you follow Christ, this is what you can expect to be in your life at some point. Maybe to a minor degree, but maybe as an, an object of the culture that hates you and wants to get rid of you and shut you up. And how do we go through that? What do we do? What do we do? One of the first things that Dr. Brunson says is, and his, and his how to prepare yourself is understand that persecution is coming. And don't hide from it. And don't th throw it away. And don't run from it. But look it square in the face. And he's absolutely correct. If you, uh, in, living in denial is not going to accomplish anything. Well, wait, 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 wait. Okay, yes, fine. Good. So, but what if I'm the one, not the ones who's going to be persecuted? What if persecution doesn't come until 10 years later? Blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine. There are all the other stuff that we normally have to deal with, isn't it, in life? All the other stuff that we're dealing with. You know, the financial problems and, and school problems and, and teaching problems and student problems and, and um, you know, 
all, all the things that you have to deal with as an, in a normal world. How do we deal with those? And what does scripture say about that? When, because persecution is a type, a really extreme form of a type of trial or trouble or problem that we, that we are, are facing. And when you, when you, what does this passage have to, have, to, have to say about that? And in Psalm 46.10, it's very clear. He says, be still and know that I am God. Okay, so I'm going to find me a stump somewhere and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read my Bible and then I'm done. That's fantastic. It's great. Oh my gosh. Now what? Go back to the life as we already have it. That's not, as you know, Scripture, that's not what this is saying at all. At all. Because the passage, the, the, the psalm, is one about God is my, my strength, my, what is this, it's my refuge and my strength in verse 1. A very present help in trouble. Um, verse 7, the God of Jacob is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he's destroying all these heathen nations. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. This is the whole uh, brunt of Psalm 46. This is who God is. And then he sticks right toward the end of this. He sticks this little passage right there. Cease striving and know that I'm God. Okay, now, what's he saying? What's he, what, why is that there? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like God is our refuge and strength. Because sometimes my problems are so overwhelming, I can't see who God is. I... I when somebody comes and brings me a Bible verse, it's just like, I don't want to hear that. You know, okay, great, but man, look what I have to deal with. Look at the stuff I have to deal with. I, well, how am I going to get out of this mess? How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to handle this? What's going to happen to my life? What's going to happen to my children? And I just cannot see for the life of me until I'm calmed down, and this has reached some resolution, and I'm able to breathe, and I can say, yes, God is my refuge and strength. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> then what was he here? <laughs> Doesn't look like it, does it? <laughs> no. And what you and I do in those stressful situations, those panicky type things, is we want the help that we want we want it when we want it. We want it the way that we want it, which is usually the way that's comfortable for me. I can deal with, I can handle, I kind of, okay, I kind of got this. And then we want it to have the solution that we want it to have. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's how I function. Um, you know, I can trust the Lord great. Even if it's kind of uncertainty, as long as I know the bounds of the uncertainty. As long as I know he's not going to, you know, okay, if I'm over here, I don't know. But, I, oh, yeah, well, the Lord's my strength and my shield and is my comforter. Because I'm somewhat secure in what's going on. When Brunson was thrown into jail, all of that was removed. Every stinking bit of it. No freedom, no authority, no power, no money. No influence, no possessions, no family, no friends, no church, no Bible, nothing. No parameters. Everything was in the air. Everything was uncertain. Everything was, I don't know, in terms of his own questions. And so, he very boldly tells you, 
in the first part, of the first about this year of his imprisonment, he's moved around all over to different different prisons. Um, in the first period of his imprisonment, he was certain that he was God's prisoner, and that God was going to to work through him like he did Paul and and Silas when they were singing hymns and. The gates will open, and there, maybe there'll be a revival in the Turkish prison, uh, prisons, but he's going to be, feel the presence of the Lord in a way that he's never felt it before, and he's going to be strengthened, and it's going to be hard and difficult and uncertain, but yeah, but God's going to be here with me. He's going to speak to me. He's going to carry me through, and he felt none of that, none. His agony was that God was silent. Does that remind you of somebody? Mr. Job? Remember him? God, just speak to me. Just come down and talk to me. And we can settle this. Just, you know, I'm, here I am sitting on, on a, a, the ruins of my life. My health is gone. Everything else is gone. Uh, and I have nothing. Just come and talk to me and I can endure this. You know, show me what, uh, you know, what, what's going on here. Silence. Silence. Now, why would God do that to his people? Is he cruel? Is he mean? Is he playing a cruel joke on you? Dr. Brunson had to get to that point where he was willing as... As we were willing to sing just a minute ago... Where's my bulletin? Is there somewhere? Um... Even though if he slays me, I will follow him. That's the point that, that he came to. He came to a point in, one, in his imprisonment where he suddenly realized that, that he's never going to feel God's presence. He's never going to have that a great revelation. He's never going to see angels you know, going up and down on a ladder. He's never going to hear the trumpet of Michael. He's never going to, in, in prison, he's never going to see the face of God. He's never going to hear God speak to him. He's just going to be in prison, separated from all of that for the rest of his life. But who is his God? Even though you slay me, yet will I follow you. And so, <laughs> One of the things he started doing, because he had read about Dr. Wernbrand, and Dr. Wernbrand, 15 years in prison, by the way, tortured, just ungodly, the way that man was treated in a Romanian communist prison. At least uh, Brunson, only two years, and he wasn't tortured. Turkish prisons, and there's the difference. Dr. Wernbrand said that he realized that being joyful in the presence of the Lord was a command and not an option. Um, so he started dancing in his prison cell. I'm sure everybody thought he was crazy. But he started, you know, every, every, when he would go through his daily devotion, he would, part of it would be dancing. So Brunson said, I started doing that. And when I have a little time in the courtyard, I'd just start dancing at least five minutes a day and praising the Lord. And I said, did I feel like dancing? No. I wanted to run away and hide. Why was I doing it? Out of obedience to God. He says, a strange thing happened. As I began to faithfully and obediently praise God and worship and dance and sing, I began to feel God's presence more. 
I began to feel a little bit of joy in his presence. Amazing how that works, isn't it? When in those circumstances, when we come down, when it comes down to it, this, this psalm tells us when you don't experience that, when you don't understand that God is a refuge and a strength, when you don't understand, when it's, it's shade, when, when you begin to doubt that, here's what you do. Here's one of the things that you can do. Focus your attention by stopping. Stop more, strike. I'm going to need those. Uh, stop striving. Stop working so hard. You know, stop trying to get it done. Trying, stop trying to solve your problems. Stop trying to make it work out so that you feel better. Stop it. Now, on the other hand, there are people who just sit and do nothing. And so this would not apply. Now, he, he, yeah, he would say stop it. It would be a whole different kind of stop it. You know, stop sitting on a stump somewhere. There's work to be done. There are things to be accomplished. There are people around you who need you. Get off the stump. Get out of the prayer closet once in a while. Go to the prayer closet. Yes, absolutely. But there's a time to, to pray and there's a time to, to work. And so don't get the two mixed up. They're not the same thing. As you, when you pray, then you work. And as you work, you can pray. And as you pray, you can work. There's no place in the scripture where it says you can do, that you're free to do either one in spite of the other. It's all a matter of, what, of how you live your life. Your life is a life of prayer. And it's a life of service. Not so that I will be okay, but so that God will be seen as God. He will be worshipped as Lord, and others can be okay. That's who you are. That's what you signed up for. To love God and to love your neighbor. That's what we do. And when I don't feel like doing that, when I'd rather sit in my, on my back porch and smoke my cigar and pet my dog, who's dead, and pet my dog, yeah. There's a time for that. Praise the Lord, I can afford a cigar. They're really expensive. Praise the Lord, I have a back porch I can sit on. Praise the Lord, I can take the time and pet my dog. Well, whatever. Right? Praise the Lord, I can do that. But if that's all you're doing, if that's all I'm doing, shame on you. It's doing you no good. It's killing you. It's killing the gospel. It's killing the ministry. It's killing those you're not speaking to. Not helping. Not being involved with. Not loving. And that's what he's saying here. There's a time in your life when you should stop what you're doing and know who God is. What, is, what the heck is that? I, I, what do you mean know who God is? Well, I'll give you a little hint here. There's, there's, a, there's a whole series of these. They're really wonderful. Uh, I never read them as all, all together, but there's from Psalm um, 103 to 107 and they're all very similar to this. Listen to Psalm 103. If I am trying to take some time to stop what I'm doing or not doing and know who God is. This is one of the passages that I would go through. I'm just going to read just a little portion. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who pardons all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies you with years of good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds on and on and on and on. And there goes 103 and 104 and 105 and 106 and 107 and all throughout the gospel. If you remember the children of Israel when they came out in, in, in Exodus chapter 6, Exodus or Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy 6. He says, when your children ask you about why are we doing this and why do we worship this and why do we go here and why do we have these feasts, tell them all that God did, who you were in Egypt and how God brought you out with a mighty hand and how he preserved you through the wilderness, and how he brought you to the land of Canaan. Tell them, remind them, let them know. And then he goes through from about from, uh, uh, chapter 7 through about chapter 9. Remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, remember, 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 remember what? Remember how God dealt with you. Remember how he saved you. Remember how he brought you out. Remember how he encouraged you. Remember how he provided for you. Don't forget. So part of my knowing who God is, is how has God worked in my life? Has he? If he has, I pray he has, then you have some experience of who God is. And that's part of your life. And that's where you, some of the places that you should go back to to remember. That God did this to me. God helped me here. The Coldstar family, great example. Imperfect, no doubt. They would say, they would tell you. But look how God saved Jim for us. Talk to the family about what they went through. And it was hell. Every day was a difficulty and a problem. And Jim was alive and I couldn't do anything. And God in his graciousness and his kindness to them and to us brought him back to us and restored his health. That's what some of the things that we should remember. That's who the God is that we serve. What if God had had another plan for Jim? Tragic, yes. Sad, absolutely. Mourning, Absolutely. But God in his graciousness would have brought him home to himself. And he would be enjoying the presence of Christ forever. Weep with the family? Yes. Sorry for the loss? Yes. Miss him? Yes. But God in his graciousness acts in a way that is best for us and is best for his church and brings him glory. And that Jim is with us, we praise God for that, and we should. If he had not been taken away, we should praise God for that, because that's his will for our lives. Even though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Um, yeah. I've been trying for two sermons to get to uh, <laughs> Mark 4. I'll just summarize what I was going to say there, hopefully. Jesus takes his disciples on a little trip. 
we got to go to over across the Galilee, Sea of Galilee, so let's go. So he said, okay, fine. Now understand, there are 12 disciples and some other followers, and seven of those disciples were fishermen, or else had some, four were professional fishermen, you want to call them that. Three others had a connection with fishing because they were fishing when God, when Christ revealed himself to them and cooked the breakfast for them after he had raised them from the dead. So we know they knew, seven knew, so they knew fishing. Where are they going to fish? Around the Sea of Galilee. They knew the Sea of Galilee. They know fishermen have to know weather. They have to know boats. They have to know sailing. They have to know sailing a boat in weather. They've done that before. Okay, fine, great. So here they go, and they're crossing the sea, and then here comes this huge wind, and this wind rips these waves up, and the boat is sinking. And here's Jesus in the back of the boat sleeping. That doesn't fit anything. That doesn't sound right. I mean, you know, listen, wake up. We're, don't you see we're sinking here? We need every, you know, get a, get a bucket and help us bail. Get, help us row. You know, help us lower. Get, get the tiller. Help us get out of here. Which is what they understood, right? But understand, under, you know, God took them at a place where all of their experience and their expertise and their knowledge and their understanding of everything around them totally failed. Totally. And when they got anxious enough and worried enough and fearful enough, they woke Jesus up. And how long, why do you think God, uh, why do you think Jesus slept that long? First of all, he's exhausted. He'd been through a whole bunch of stuff before. Why do you think he slept that long? Was that an accident? He brought them right to that point. You see? If he's God, he's in control. And he brought them to the point where all of that was failing and failing miserably. And then he just got up and said, be quiet, be still. And look at the effects. Who the heck is this? That the winds and the waves obey him. He turned to them and said, where's your faith? Don't you understand? Who am I? Who controls the winds and the waves? See, they had forgotten if they ever did. If you remember, remember Psalm 107, part of 107 tells, says that. It's God who controls the winds and the waves. And so in their, in their panic, in their panic to save themselves and to save the boats and to save, you know, to not die in the water, not drown in the water, which is what their real fear was, they forgot all of that. It just went right out of the way. And, you know, if they had known, maybe their response, maybe, would have been something like this. If they had remembered, and if they had woken up, wait a minute. Um, Jesus, we know that you're Messiah. We know that you're Lord and Savior, and we know that you're God. So we know that you're in control. And while we're afraid and, and, and we're uncertain here, we know that you control the winds and the waves. And so we know that we're in your hands and we place ourselves in your hands and we'll take from you whatever you have to give us and praise you. Maybe they would have said that. But they didn't. <laughs> because they didn't remember. They didn't really understand who he was. And they haven't reached the point and they haven't gotten, they hadn't matured like that yet. Let me leave you with a little illustration. 
um, father uh, had a little house up by the lake, and he took his 12-year-old son and his three-year-old son out one weekend with him to work on the boat. Uh, uh, the boat was pulled up on, uh, on the trailer, and he had to fix the motor. And the 12-year-old was in charge of the three-year-old. And the 12-year-old, like 12-year-olds, um, got distracted, right? So here's the three-year-old took that great opportunity to sneak off and, and explore on my own. So he went up there, and he was going to look at the new canoe they had just bought and tied up to the pier there. So as you know, stepping from the pier to the boat, and the boat just went right up under him, and you heard this big, huge splash. And as soon as the splash, the 12-year-old knew exactly, oh, no, and he called for his father, uh, Johnny's in the fell in the water, so this father ran over and jumped headfirst into the water. Was about five or six feet deep there by the pier, and looking around frantically on the bottom for his son, giving out of air, came up to the top, took a breath, went down again. Could still couldn't find, still couldn't find. Came back up, and as he came back up, uh, he was close to one of the poles that holds up the pier, and he felt a little arm around the pier, about four feet down. Realized it was his son, so he pried his son's arms off the pole, and they both came up and got a breath of air. Fortunately, everybody was okay, but when things had calmed down and things had settled down, he, he asked the son, you know, what were you doing? You were underwater. Why were you holding on to that pole? He said, well, I was waiting for you, Dad. You see the point? Are you waiting for Dad? Could you be still and quiet and reflect on who God is? And then the implication of that is, once you understand who God is, then you go and you live and you act that. Not what I want, not what I fear, not what I think I should have, but you go and you do what he's telling you to do. And there's the rub, you see. Because if you listen to him, he will tell you. And if he tells you, you will either obey or you will rebel. See, no, only two choices. And I promise you, he's going to tell you something you don't want to do. And that's not going to be easy. Like stay two years in a Turkish prison while I don't talk to you. Do you love him? Is he your Lord and Savior? Let's pray. Our Father, how difficult to live in these times, but what a privilege to live in the times, seeing and understanding what may be coming down the road, and understanding that there, there is a time and a place for us to be quiet and to understand and to know and to stop all the frantic activity and to focus on who you are and to understand that this should take us someplace where we are involved. Father, I pray that this would be our lives, that this would be what we do and what we think and how we live. In Christ we pray. Amen.